Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so happy you've chosen to join me today. My guest today on the show is the co-creator of the Vice documentary series Dark Side of the Ring, Evan Husney. Vice's new season of Dark Side of the Ring kicks off Tuesday, May 30th at 10 p.m. on Vice with a look at the tale of Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch. The other 11 episodes this season are Magnum T.A., Adrian Adonis, Doink the Clown, Junkyard Dog, Marty Gennetti, Bam Bam Bigelow, Abdullah the Butcher, WCW Bash of the Beach 2000, and The Graham Family. Lots of unique human beings and unique stories to be told there. Dark Side of the Ring is a unique part of the wrestling culture. I feel like people are happy it exists. I feel like some people are angry that it exists. Where I stand on it, I very much liked some of them. I thought some were fine, and I didn't like some episodes. I will admit, as a reporter, I sometimes struggle with documentaries and how they're presented versus what my career in journalism is and has been and how it's presented. But uh, that's why it's a good thing we have Evan Husney here on the show today to talk this out. So here we go with my interview with Dark Side of the Ring co-creator Evan Husney. Pleased to be joined today by a co-creator of Dark Side of the Ring, Evan Husney. Evan, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Thanks for being with me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Phil. I appreciate it. So the new season is kicked off. When this drops, we'll already be ahead of the uh, the second episode of the new season. Uh, which story excites or interests you the most about the new season? Oh man, there's there there are several. Um, I absolutely, uh, you know, um, well, the premiere episode, uh, Chris and Tammy, is uh, a super important episode to me personally. It's one that we have always wanted to do for the show ever since the very first season um, and uh, tried to make it happen on numerous occasions. And we finally pulled the trigger going into season four. Um, and Chris Candido, you know, was a wrestler that meant a lot to me growing up as a kid. I was a huge ECW fan and you know, seeing Chris Candido on the triple threat was just so awesome. The power bomb off the top rope is just one of the most amazing finishing moves ever. And I feel like, you know, Chris Candido is pretty unsung um, in the wrestling world today. I think, you know, had he, if he were around today, I think he'd be a huge influential force. Um, I think he was very much ahead of his time. His size and his style is much more now, more commonplace than it, it was back in his time. Um, so it's been important for me to always want to show a spotlight on him. And the story in and of itself about these two very young kids who got swept up into the wrestling business at a very, very young age. They were, you know, impressionable, you know, very innocent. And they kind of got gobbled up by, you know, a very heavy painkiller drug party excess time period in wrestling. And I think how they started and how they wound up is pretty shocking. And the episode is definitely a roller coaster ride. In terms of that, in terms of, you know, Chris passing away at a very young age. And of course, Tammy, a.k.a. Sonny, you know, from the WWF, you know, in her current legal uh, situations, you know, facing a manslaughter, sorry, facing a manslaughter charge and things like that. It's a pretty wild experience. And so that story to me was always a very important one for us to tell. And I have to also say the other one, I mean, there's a lot uh, yeah. that I'm very excited about. I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow is another 
just all timer for me. One of my favorite wrestlers growing up as a kid. And we basically approach this episode as, you know, I don't even care what the story is about Bam Bam Bigelow. We're just going to do a Bam Bam episode. We'll find a story. <laughs> and um, in meeting his family and meeting his 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 kids and, um, you know, his ex-wife and everything, um, the story just came alive. And they're just incredible on camera. And I think a lot of fans are going to be shocked to, to learn a lot about, um, you know, his sort of final years, for sure. Why do pro wrestling stories lend themselves so well to documentary filmmaking? That's a good question. Um, I think, well, the lifestyle of professional wrestlers are just so over the top and wild and extreme um, in terms of just the, the, whether it's the like rock and roll lifestyle or just, you know, that, well, it is kind of mirrors that, you know, rock and roll experience, being on the road, touring, partying excess you know but i think what makes it special is that wrestlers have always had to live two lives uh one maintaining their characters protecting the business keeping up kayfabe keeping up appearances trying to you know play a heel when you know they're a completely different person at heart and i think somewhere along the way some of them lose sight of who they are um you know deep down and i think that there's this real crisis of identity there is a very interesting blurred lines between reality and fiction. It just lends itself to great dramatic storytelling. And they're also great storytellers, you know, yeah. they're great at promos and just the, the, they're, they're, they're larger than life characters. Um, especially wrestlers from, you know, or, you know, earlier eras, you know, from the, from the seventies and eighties and, you know, early nineties and stuff. So I think it lends itself for that reason. Cause there's no other real sport I can think of or any other form of entertainment where you have the performers having to toe that line between um, a, a constant performance of who they are and, and who they are in real life. You know, and I think that's very unique with wrestling. A, a criticism I have from the news side, because that's my background, you know, sometimes yeah. is I watch documentaries and I find differences in the creative license that they tend to have while telling stories that I might not be afforded while presenting something as a news sure. story. Yeah. And, and with wrestlers, like you said, you're dealing with people sometimes who might be working all the time and might stretch the truth. You're dealing with people who might be bad faith actors and you're dealing with people who just might have bad memories, too. So yep. how, do you, how do you kind of deal with that and balance it all out as you seek to have something that's both a good <laughs> documentary and one that's based in fact? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I mean, I have unique viewpoints on, you know, documentary filmmaking uh, and how it re you know relates to journalism. You know, I, I, I kind of I, I, I take a different path where, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, for us making documentaries, it's not necessarily about just presenting fact. You know, I think there is a lot um, in terms of construction to, you know, make these stories as dramatic as possible and um, to, you know, be truthful to the story, not to like take, you know, liberties with the truth per se. But I think it's more than just presenting the facts. Um also, on top of that, um, I think when we started out doing this show and we were not as we had no experience working with wrestlers and, and, and outlining some of those <laughs> things you said about, yeah. you know, bad memory and, you know, working you and bending the truth and lying and all that stuff. You know, we we're really new to that in, in terms of working with wrestlers. And I think there was a lot of frustration that came out with us in the edit room, trying to separate those things and to try to make them, you know, try to figure out, you know, what is separating fact from fiction. 
And then we sort of understood that there is a whole separate like meta layer into all this, which is that is part of wrestling. You know, part yeah. of wrestling is the subversion of truth and working, you know, how wrestlers and the audiences are kind of in this, you know, they kind of work in tandem, you know, with each other to perpetuate these kind of, you know, fantasy falsities, you know, and that's kind of the magic of it. And I think, um, you know, all wrestlers are in business for themselves, man. You know, they all want to protect their spots, <laughs> you know, which is another unique quality to wrestling. And so I think it's something that started to us that was a little frustrating to figure out. I think we just had to eventually lean into and to kind of communicate that is a part of it. And we wanted to show audiences that was a part of it. So I think over the course of the show, you definitely see, you know, when people are not being truthful or when two, two different perspectives don't add up. We tend to show both, you know, um, and we love the feeling in a documentary when you're presented with all these various different POVs and you're pre and presented with different opinions. And then it's kind of left in your hands as the audience at the end to kind of to kind of look at it all and see how do you relate to it and how do you think about all this and what do you think about all this? And I think that's always been something we've tried to be conscious of along the way. I really appreciate that answer. It's just something where, where I've had problems with documentaries at times and friends have told me like, no, you're holding it to the wrong standard, buddy. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. It's just, it's how I was trained. But yeah, I apologize. But like, it's just even Andre the Giant. You know what's interesting? I had problem with, you know, in ways. Yeah. You, you know what really opened, you know, what's a good story on that? Just real quick. Yeah, of just ahead. how my head works with this or how, how I kind of landed on, I guess, my own philosophy is um you know the great filmmaker documentarian filmmaker Werner Herzog you know if you're familiar he uh had a great thing a great anecdote about the differences between journalism and documentary filmmaking that I've always kept in mind with anything I do is um talking about truth this idea that um the Manhattan phone book okay would is the book of books if you're measuring by truth right it's it's john smith yes john smith he lives at this address this is his phone number yes 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 you know that that is true but the way to approach the documentary about john smith is okay yep john smith is his name this is his phone number this is his address but what are his nightmares what are john smith's nightmares <laughs> you know and that's how we approach documentary filmmaking is getting into that extra layer yeah just off topic uh, it, it you know it's, it's just fun to talk about it and it's not often yeah. I've been able to have that kind of an exchange with somebody either you know because i interview wrestlers a lot too so right. um, going behind the scenes a bit you know it, like i said it fascinates me me to somebody with my background the work that goes into some of these pieces what does it look like soup to nuts the how the ideas for topics come about to actually mm -hmm. shooting the episodes and even even fact checking some of this stuff sure yes yeah, so well uh it, it's definitely evolved over the seasons you know uh our, our team has expanded our team has gotten bigger there's a lot of other producers now that are part of it which is great um to have more help um but i guess like how a, a season is put together nowadays is we all kind of had these meetings where we bat around a lot of different stories. Um, some that we've been holding on to for a while, some that we have a lot of personal interest in like Bam Bam Bigelow, as I was saying is a good example of that. And we just kind of bat it around and kind of see what would it look like? Who would you get? You know, what's the story? How does it break down in an hour? Like, okay, well, you know, we can take the people on this ride and this, you know, the first act and then the third act is going to be here and that's going to be, 
getting into this part of it? And then how do we leave people? What's the ending? And we sort of just kind of sketch out what it would look like. And we kind of take them all under consideration. And some of them, you know, they're, they, they could be great stories, but we just don't have that firsthand information available to us, whether, you know, we know someone, you know, is going to turn us down immediately, or we don't have access to it, or there's too many WWE people that, you know, we know won't be able to be a part of our show or uh, for other reasons, you know, whatever the other reasons are, or maybe the story just isn't like going to hold, uh, get a hold for a full hour. You know, it's, it would be a great 20 minutes, but it might not be a great hour. And so we just kind of bat those around um, and we take a lot of suggestions from fans, from viewers of the show. I mean, we do a lot of social media posts about it. What do you guys want to see? And there's been a lot of episodes that fans have suggested that we've really taken seriously, maybe things we never would have done in our own. And it's led us down some weird rabbit hole. And then we find out that, hey, now it's an episode. And that's a lot of fun, too. So we we play out we game out lots of different episodes over the course of the beginning of a season, even during the season. So we do that. And then um, the, the next process is just access. Like who can we get to talk about it? You know, we want to make sure we have enough firsthand voices. We don't want to be a show where there's, you know, second and third hand information or like, you know, too many historical talking head voices or anything like that. Um, and then if, and then if we can get like, you know, family on board and some wrestlers on board, then it starts to become more real. And then we start, you know, booking plane tickets and hitting the ground pretty much immediately because <laughs> we right. have a pretty uh, demanding production schedule that always is the pressure of everything is the schedule. We're always pressured by the schedule no matter what. And then um, once we get all the interviews and we start to kind of sort out how we're going to unfold the story, you know, how we're going to bring people in. And we always are keep we're always, always keeping in mind the audience that's not a major hardcore wrestling audience. We're always trying to make the show accessible to people beyond that. So we're always mindful of like, how can we let people into this very insular world and they can understand everything and all that. And so, so there's that. Um, and that's a big part of the craft of editing it in terms of just like how it unfolds, you know, and of course being faithful to, you know, the, the story as we got it, you know, from the people's voices. And then, uh, then we start plugging in reenactments and we start bringing those to life. And then we have our composer compose some, you know, banging tracks for it. <laughs> and then we put it all together and make it sing at the last second. And then it's delivered probably two weeks before it airs. <laughs> wow. And, and really, the audience is, is such an important part of this, too. It's just, yeah. you know, even when I was conceiving this podcast, I wanted it sure. more to be interesting conversations with interesting people, not necessarily, Oh, this is a wrestling podcast. It's just because honestly, wrestlers are some of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. So it just made made sense for me to do that. But it, it, it kind of leads me to something else I was going to go to is, is it frustrating to maybe have a really great story about someone fans just might not be that familiar with, and therefore it becomes lower in interest for them. Totally. I mean, uh, there are a lot of those names actually, (laughs) in the upcoming season here. And we've had them in the past too, where they are deeper cut names. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't reach the heights of, you know, the WWF or, you know, they, 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 they weren't, there weren't action figures made of them. They weren't in video games and there's not nostalgia for those characters, but regardless, they have just amazing stories. They have, you know, fascinating histories and lives they've led. And we've always, ever since the very first season kind of, disregarded the notion of trying to keep it 
like super, you know, pop culture driven or like, you know, only do telling stories about the most famous people. Uh, like season one has some pretty deep cut names in it, you know, in that first season. And, um, you know, to us, we always led with just what is the best story. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that we've built an audience um, enough to be able to continually do that and it not, not work, you know, people not to show up. I think people, you know, wrestling fans, the most hardcore, I mean, they know everything about these big names, but there's a lot of those like deeper cut names, like a Johnny canine we did an episode about, or a Herb Abrams yeah. or a Gino Hernandez or, you know, something or, or like upcoming, we have Adrian Adonis or Matt Bourne or, you know, names like that or the Graham family that they're willing to take that ride because they don't know anything about it. And they, they hopefully trust that, you know, with us doing it, that it's definitely going to be a captivating story. Adonis is somebody I'm really looking forward to from this season. He's somebody who was very big yeah. when I started getting into wrestling. So mm-hmm. and you don't hear a lot about his, uh, his story too much because he's been gone for so long. I know. Um, yeah. The grand, the yeah. grand family. I was wondering too, with that one, that's Eddie and Mike. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Have yep. you ever considered Dr. Jerry? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, he, he's a, he's a part of it too. Um, he's a part of the episode too. I mean, the Graham family episode, again, it goes back to season one, man. A lot of these do. It's so funny. And now we're getting around to doing a lot of the ones that we we, we considered all the way in the beginning. Uh, the Graham family was suggested to us by Dutch Mantel, like right in the beginning when we were working on the show is like, you have to do it because it's this unbelievable story about, uh, it's a tragic, very, very tragic story about like four different generations of, of, of Grams. I mean, they're actually, their real name is the Gossett family. Right. So, but it's four generations of them that had, where their where lives have, where they, where they've taken their own lives, you know, and it's, it's very dark. And I think with this episode, we look at, you know, obviously how brilliant Eddie Graham was as a promoter, one of the most, you know, innovative minds wrestling has ever seen. I mean, influenced Vince McMahon. I mean, he was the guy, I mean, Eddie Graham, and um, I think his suicide shocked the wrestling world, you know, in a huge, huge, huge way. But I think also at the same time, you know, he comes from a lineage of suicide even before him, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think his decision to take his own life made it sort of an excuse. or not, I'm sorry, not an excuse. It, it, it made it a viable option for his family, for other family members. And you start to learn how his son, who was a wrestler, Mike Graham, took his own life. Mike's son took his own right. life and it's just this uh, this never ending like hereditary like tragedy and uh, what I think is going to be eye opening for a lot of viewers is not just the history of the Grams but also you know Eddie Graham's granddaughter Nicole and her just super super powerful interview where she really talks about she's the one who's going to break this cycle you know in her family and through you know raising awareness um, and promoting, you know, more of the mental health and being more open, you know, about feelings and things like that. And, um, the episode is called breaking the cycle, the Graham dynasty. So that's why that's where the name, you know, comes from. I mean, she literally is the one to break the cycle. So yeah, it's, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy story, but also comes with it. A lot of fascinating history about, you know, really some of the more influential figures and Dr. Jerry Graham. I mean, that's where Eddie Graham got his name, Dr. Jerry Graham. 
and you know he's definitely uh, a beacon of uh, jaw-dropping stories as well too <laughs> yeah he, he's his own episode at some point i think it's you know if that's ever possible i didn't know but so much time has yeah. passed too do you, do you I know. feel like yeah. you know when you when you look at some of the contents of your episode you mentioned some of the you know the really deep stuff you have with the grams you have the von erics and then yeah. you have so many people with so many substance issues you know you look back at the herb abrams mm-hmm. one you know the chris Kendall <laughs> one you mentioned um mm-hmm. is it difficult to kind of toe that line of you know you don't want to celebrate questionable behavior you don't want to maybe ridicule people oh, yeah. that need help but then at the same time like it's all part of the warts of what their yeah. story is yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it is a part of their that era. You know, thankfully, it's not that now. You know, there is that silver lining that now things are different, you know, than they were. I mean, there's there's different challenges and, you know, now that there were, but the sort of drug use and the concept of just the availability of these pharmaceuticals, you know, it's mostly the pharmaceuticals that are really the problem, right? You know, the oxys and the muscle relaxers, the somas. Right. Obviously, you know, and there is obviously the narcotic stuff too, you know, for sure. But um, it was that era where these wrestlers were just on the road 300 plus days a year, their bodies breaking down. They're pretty much in car accidents every single night. And it's just, you know, there's that one moment where, you know, you need someone offers you something to get you to the next town, and then one turns into six, you know, and a couple weeks later, and then it turns into 12. And, you know, it's just this, it's this cycle, right? Um, and it's a common thread. It's a, it's a common thread among a lot of the stories uh, that they, they end in this similar way. And they, and where wrestlers fall into these traps and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and I think that there is also, with respect to most of the male wrestlers, of course, there's this, you know, sense of machismo and being, I think the way society was and those generations were to be so closed off about your emotions and to be so like tough. And, you know, I think wrestling has that facade of being muscular and tough and all that stuff. And I think a lot of people swallowed a lot of their traumas and a lot of their emotions. And that also leads to disaster. And that's a common thread you see among a lot of the other episodes too. And so I think, um, you know, uh, this show, I think, allows rather than like the, the being an expose, you know, here's the warts of wrestling and the bad stuff. I think it's I think it's these are important things to talk about, you know, and they're yeah. important things to learn from. And uh, I think wrestling did a very good job of hiding all that for so long or trying to hide it. Like Chris Benoit's story swept under the rug. Owen Hart quickly, you know, put to the side. And I think it didn't allow for a lot of people to like properly process these things that are happening, you know, and from fans and from wrestlers too. And I think the way we hope to approach our show or the way we hope our show is looked at is a way to process those, um, you know, and to give some closure to some of these stories that have kind of, you know, lingered on for so long in an unhealthy way. That's our hope. And yeah. some of the sweeping, you know, some of the moving the stories away is sort of part of the work, too. You look back, you know, you know, even Gina Hernandez dies and they have to kind of present it within character on the TV show and explain kind of how people feel about it. Even exactly. It's got to go back. Often it was sort of the same thing. It's got to go back to the narrative. The narrative is the most important. The storyline is the most important. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Feel, and yeah. Do you feel like dealing with the, the more modern generation now? Because obviously you do with social media and also with some of the people you have on the show. Do you, do you feel like things have gotten better overall? <laughs> do you think, do, 
like it, it's it's because I, I I feel like it's kind of a mixed bag still. I agree with you. Um, I, no, I, I I totally agree with you. I I I think that you know, oh, man, the social media era I think has been bad for wrestling in in yes. general. Uh, it's taken a lot of the magic away, I think, from um, from wrestling. And, uh, you know, but I do think there are habits. There are better habits that a lot of most of the wrestlers are into now. I think like the fact that, um, you know, for example, like that cannabis is more accepted is a good thing, you know, in right. wrestling where there's alternative uh ways to combat pain than there ever have been you know i think that is better um generally and that's what you see and the extracurricular activities of most wrestlers seem to be a little more a little better than they were before um but yeah i think the magic of wrestling has suffered a great deal from just the modern culture and it, it kind of is weird to me because it's like i see fans fixate it's hard to explain to a normal person it really is but yes. that fans are fixated so much on the decisions of the people in, behind the scenes writing these storylines than they are losing themselves in the wrestling, which is what the whole point is. But obviously, but also the writers aren't doing a very good job of letting us lose ourselves in the magic of wrestling either, you know? So it's become this very meta, weird exercise that I don't quite understand. Um, and it, it doesn't feel right to me, you know, like it doesn't feel like, uh, it feels like something new. It feels like we're, we're squabbling over like the way things are presented and the way then like how they should achieve for ratings. It's just a weird metric that people are, are evaluating wrestling today that actually has nothing to do with the wrestling. I feel like, do you know what I mean? I do. And it's funny cause I've been like an internet fan for like, Oh God, like 25 years now, probably. So like I, yeah. I, I can enjoy the shows independently of what I think about what the decision making is. Like I, I can separate yeah. those pretty easily, but I think a lot of people yeah. have a hard time doing that. And um, yeah, one thing yeah. I was going to ask you is, you know, what, what, how do you deal with the criticism from people who say, okay, well, this is the dark side of the ring. Where's the where's the light side of the ring? And, and would, you, would you argue by showing the dark side, you're kind of allowing the good side yeah. to show through anyway? Absolutely. Yeah. How you know, it's 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 uh, how can you appreciate the light side without the dark, man? You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, like the name and the branding, I think, is the thing that 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 um, triggers the most negativity towards the show which I, I totally understand. Um, you know, I think hindsight 2020, maybe go back in the time machine. Maybe there was a better name, you know, for the show or something uh, that might've uh, helped to kind of uh, just establish that. I think what this show is really trying to do is less about digging the dirt up, you know, and it's more about humanizing these wrestlers because these wrestlers that we grew up idolizing, you know, we looked at them as larger than life figures. We looked at them as, you know, these action figure characters, you know, superheroes, you know, that were unfathomable. But that's not true. You know, behind the scenes, they're, they're real people that we can actually relate to. And I think because wrestling, the way it's been portrayed in media for so long, 
is that uh, media has always looked down on it and has always sort of yep. looked at it as, oh, here's this fake phony, you know, thing. Why, you know, it's 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 laughable, it's fake. Who cares, you know, type thing. And I think for us, like, we really wanted to try to elevate um, the perception of wrestling, uh, ironically, uh, to show the real stakes and the real humanity of this and what they go through and what it is all about, you know, so people can see them as real human beings like never before. That was kind of the real um, point of it, you know, and I think that's been lost with modern wrestling fans too. I don't think a lot of these, I think fans have this weird hybrid association with their favorite wrestlers as if they really know them deep down, but they don't know them who they are. And I think we wanted to really show, try to show these, these, uh, these wrestlers as people. And there's also a perception. One, one last thing. I'm not trying to like dig on wrestling fans too much, but there is this one thing too, where it's like, I think there's this, uh, preconceived notion that's been ingrained in fans and wrestlers about the perception of wrestling is either putting it over or burying it. It's a black and white sort of non, you know, very binary sort of thing, you know, and I don't think that uh, our the way we approach it and we do approach it from, you know, being fans. We love this. Right. But it's not about being so black and white and it's not about judging anybody. It's not about like this is wrong and this is bad and this is good. And there we're putting this person over and we're burying this person over here. It's just about the story. It's this is the story of what happened. You know, this is the real story about what happened. And I think a lot of people get swept up into the idea that these are supposed to be our episodes are supposed to be commercial vehicles or something, or, you know, maybe other documentaries that are out there on other networks are, you know, sure, sure. and like ours are supposed to fall into that, but they're not. These are just the stories. And it's good to not have the attachment of the company with it too. Although, like you said right. before, it creates some obstacles for you for access and that kind of thing. Yes. It's good to have that independent view. And I will say that your yeah. uh, characterization of wrestling in media pretty much mirrors the last like 16 years of me pitching wrestling stories. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, in mainstream yeah, media. So yeah, it's it's hard to get yeah, people to yeah. believe in them. And it, you know, they, it is. They, they don't they don't get past the surface level of oh, that's just no. a crap. Like, like, well, it's yeah. again, like I said before, it's interesting stories of interesting people. So um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. How different was it working on Tales from the Territories than Dark Side of the Ring? Man, it was awesome. It was like, you know, we had been grinding for so long on Dark Side at that point. We had been working pretty much nonstop since 2016 on the show. And uh, I, I will admit that there was a little fatigue um on just you know covering the tragic you know there was for me in terms of um just it has a wear on you like emotionally you know too i've been there you know yeah right right i mean you know because we care about these you know these people in these episodes and stuff and it's hard not to even you know you're maybe not supposed to you know as a filmmaker journalist supposed to have that distance but it's hard and um so yeah it definitely took a toll on me and um you know, things got pretty controversial at the end of the third season. And it was just like, uh, even though we had been developing Tales from the Territories for many, literally about two years prior to it, maybe even more, um, it just, it finally came together where, you know, Vice picked it up and the deals were done and we kind of figured out what we were going to do with it. 
And it was more just about like uh, a vehicle to get out all of these really crazy short form stories of the road that we had heard and picked up along the way, but we had no real outlet for. And also kind of looking at like that territory generation, you know, is, is not getting any younger. And yeah. it was kind of an opportunity to try and just, you know, get some people together. And it was so fun, man. I mean, the pandemic, you know, had, had been in full swing and a lot of people, there weren't con wrestling cons or ways for these wrestlers to kind of become, you know, the, together in the same room. Some Each of them hadn't been in the same room for decades. And so it was just cool. It was just a fun kind of more like light side of the ring, if you will, kind of more like the wild side of the ring, but yeah, you know, um, just, just kind of a way to try something totally different and um, yeah, to be able to spotlight just, you know, this era that we really are obsessed with, which is the territory era. I think my favorite part of Tales from the Territories was Ken Patera in the AWA <laughs> episode and Jim Brunzel just calling him out for lying. <laughs> like, he's like, look, Kenny, I love you, but shut up. Like, yeah, <laughs> all of it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was the very first episode we actually filmed for the series. And, oh, wow. um, and uh, we were like, OK, this is going to be real fun because we didn't know if it would work. I mean, we really didn't know if the roundtable thing would work. Um, and we and it was it was kind of the thing that a lot of people were not so excited about um, from the like, you know, the powers that be side in terms of green lighting it. It was kind of like, you know, there's a lot of roundtable things. It's like you're really it's high stakes because you're at the mercy of how a conversation is going to go versus right. how a interview is going to go. And uh, it was tough, man. I mean, uh, it was really hard because like. I'm I'm more used to just having to like field an air traffic control like one interview to keep it on course, but to keep five big personalities on board, especially at Ken Patera, it was a little tricky. And I, I was air air traffic controlling all of those all those roundtables, oh, and it was gosh. it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, I got eaten alive and ribbed, and yeah, it was it was bad, but it was Very fun. Good. We're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. First question, oh is there anyone in wrestling you think would be incapable of having a dark side of the ring made about them? And who? That's a good question. Um, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> is it bad that I can't think of anybody? <laughs> the first one I was thinking uh, of was like Tito Santana. Okay. Yeah. Like, real clean living wrestler. Kids went to Ivy League schools, became a Spanish mm. teacher after he retired. <laughs> like there's not there doesn't really seem to be a lot of public dirt on Tito Santana. That's a good safe answer. Um <clears throat> and it's not like because I'm immediately thinking about like the nicest people in wrestling, right? Like I'm thinking about like the people who just are everyone loves, they can't say a bad thing about like a Mick Foley or you know, something like that. But then, then again, I, 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 it flashes from my eyes or it's like, you know, he's done so much physical harm to himself he and probably created yeah. a lot of, a lot of concern and worry for his family that I don't know, maybe there's an argument to be made. Um, yeah. I mean, dang, that's a tough one. That is a, yeah, I'd have to really think about that because also there are episodes, um, you know, um, that we've talked about, and I don't want to say now because we might eventually do them in the future. Right. But there are some that we've thought like, there's no way there's a dark side about blank, you know? And then 
you just you kind of look and it's like, well, maybe it's not that the person got, you know, wound up, um, you know, down a down a path of drugs or, you know, whatever, killed somebody, you know, whatever. It's 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 actually, you know, maybe the darkness is more subjective in the idea that they died young and they, you know, left a, a family behind. And a lot of people can relate to that. And that's right. You know, um, so it's tough, man. Tito said, I'm going to steal yours, man. I don't know. Tito Santana. <laughs> we got to look in. Unfortunately for Tito, we have to look in the dark side of Tito Santana now. <laughs> so uh, next question. Is there an interview you've wanted to get as long as this show has been on that you haven't been able to? And is there a particular one you were surprised to get? Okay. The surprise to get is Jerry McDivitt for sure. Um, I liked that one a uh, lot, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jerry McDivitt, for those who don't know listening, is basically WWE and Vince McMahon's longtime attorney. He's kind of been at the center of most of their larger controversies over the, you know, and legal matters over the, you know, past several decades. Definitely was that that was in the big Hail Mary long shot uh, category in terms of when we came up with the idea. It was basically like we we wanted to do the steroid trials episode so bad and but it was like, how do you do it? None of the other attorneys wanted anything to do with it. And I was like, well, what if we did it with, with, with Jerry and we made it, we kind of built it around Jerry and that might be interesting and called him up, called his office up. He called me back and you know, we were able to eventually work something out, which I did not believe at all would ever happen. So, and, and, and he really liked the episode too. And he, and he, um, he, he, he thought it was really good and, 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 you know, and everything we talked about and sketched out ahead of time played out exactly how we wanted it to. And so it was great. Um, <clears throat> one I haven't been able to get. Would it be weird to say Vince McMahon? No, not at all. I think he's <laughs> probably the key to a lot of them. <clears throat> I always had like this fantasy about like you know like season seven, you know, and then the promo for it is just Vince sitting in the dark side chair. Nice, <clears throat> you know. Um, I've often wondered if I ever interviewed him, what what the heck I would even ask him. Like, where do you start? Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I would probably want to start early on, you know, like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I mean, I know that that Vince McMahon documentary is in the works and, you know, the one that the Netflix one, I'm very interested to, to if see if it ever happens, <laughs> if it happens, I'm very interested to see like anything more on who Vince really is, um, is fascinating to me. So Vince. Yeah. And then the last question, since we didn't totally touch on it. What does your fandom of wrestling look like, both past and present? <laughs> it's evolved over the process of the show. I mean, when I was a kid, I was obsessed, you know, um, from, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, like, you know, uh, Hulkamania. Like, I, I came in right at the Sergeant Slaughter Hulkamania WrestleMania. That's where I came in. I was a big G.I. Joe fan, so I loved, yeah. yeah, I loved Sergeant Slaughter. I went to my first wrestling show. My, my beg my parents to take me because I love, you know, the G.I. Joe, Sergeant Slaughter. And then, of course, I did not understand that he was, you know, an Iraqi sympathizer. <laughs> and my 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 family thought there was, you know, something wrong with me and how I was cheering for him and not the all-American hero. Um, you know, and I actually cried when Hulk Hogan won. You know, I cried or, you know, when he was over in the match. Um, then I got into, you know, the Attitude Era big time, just huge fan. And then ECW blew my mind, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And and then I got out of it for a while. And then I started to get back into it with like nostalgia. And that really kind of led to Dark Side of the Ring was like, okay, I was producing docs at the time and just really, really, really just upset, you know, wanted to get back to that feeling of being into wrestling again and 
and it kind of led to the show. And, but today, you know, with the show, it's like, because wrestling is my day job. I mean, it is now it has been for seven years. It's, um, I have to separate it, you know, like I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't keep up with it as much anymore. And besides, I hate to say this, but it's true. I watch it and it's just not the same. It's just not the same to me. And I hate the way it's filmed. I don't know. Is that really petty of me to say? Like, I hate the way the production of modern wrestling is. Interesting. Um, it's like big bright lights and, you know, just, and their costumes. Guys, get some better costumes, man. It's not 2002 hot topic anymore. <laughs> get some better costumes. Um, but it's just been hard for me, you know, to watch it because it's just not been the same. And so I don't keep up with it as much. But what I but what I will do is I'll go down like uh, like a rabbit hole. Like during the pandemic, I went like crazy over FMW. Like I went through all the FMW like top 100 matches. Interesting. And was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it's just the matches are incredible. The production value is amazing. The drama, the emotion, the crying. You know, every match ends in the in both wrestlers crying and holding each other. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, so, like, I like I'll do those detours. But with the modern stuff, it's harder for me. Sometimes I'll check in. Like WrestleMania, I thought was really good this year. Mm-hmm. Like I I did like like I'll watch a WrestleMania and like be like, yeah, that was great. That Charlotte Flair match was like one of the best things I'd ever seen in a long time. So that that will happen occasionally. But you don't need to catch up with it episodically anymore. I'm not it's watching just, Raw. No, you'd yeah. have to. You'd have to. You'd have to. Yeah, you'd have to strap me down to watch that. <laughs> well, uh, Evan, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. Just want to remind everybody: Dark Side of the Ring uh, begins its new season Tuesday, May 30th on Vice. Um, how many episodes this season is it? Ten. Ten episodes. Ten. Yep. Ten. And, episodes. Uh, you know, really looking forward to it. Checked out the Chris Candido Tammy one, and uh, all the best to to you guys for everything you're doing. Thanks, I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Dark Side of the Ring co-creator Evan Husney for joining me today, and I'd also like to thank Kyle Plava from Vice for setting this up. Be sure to follow on Twitter at Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements, which you will hear before everyone else. Have a great week, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.